At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. You know, I, I love that quote because I'm really talking about me and my my irrational thoughts. But our guest today, oh my gosh, I am so like tingly excited to have him on our show. It's gonna go over 30 minutes if he's if he's allows us to because there's so much to cover. Why? Because he started out as a concert cellist and a composer. At age 17, he started his own high school where he went on to teach. Sounds like that movie accepted. I love that movie. Um, he pinballed through careers in holistic health publishing, uh, sales leadership before becoming a full-time writer, which in and of itself is a huge accomplishment. Take it from me. Most people can't write. Um, he has co-authored not one, not two, not 10, but 30 books, including four New York Times bestsellers and five national bestsellers. He's won numerous awards. His best-selling classic, The Go-Giver with our friend Bob Berg, has sold over 1 million copies. That's over 1 million copies and has won the Living Now Book Awards and Evergreen Medal for its contribution to positive global change. Like, we desperately need that now. Um, his first novel, Steel Fear, was co-authored with a former Navy SEAL, Brandon Webb, who re was released this past July, and as author Lee Child of the Jack Reacher fame called it, an instant classic, maybe an instant legend. Wow. So it's a, with a great honor I give a, our, our guest today, John David Mann. That was a fantastic quote. I heard, I love the whole introduction there, but the quote at the beginning of the show, top of the hour, was just fantastic. Well, <laughs> you you did write it because you're the writer, so that's okay. Rational thought. We'll try. For oh, that, that one. Oh, no, that's the that I, one. Yes, I pulled, I pulled it off an Adam Sandler movie. I don't know where it was. Just oh, it was God. just like game show. It was pretty funny. Brilliant. Um, man, there's so much to cover today. Um, before we get started, if I'm a writer or an author, or an entrepreneur, what could I get out of the show today, listening to you for the next thirty plus minutes? Probably nothing whatsoever, but stop it, Mr. Humble. Oh, stop it. Um, you know, you said if you're a writer or an entrepreneur, just about every writer is an entrepreneur. Uh, okay. Writing is an entrepreneurial path, as you know, only so well. I mean, if yeah. you're a staff writer on, on the New Yorker, you know, magazine, great. You have a salary. Kudos. Yeah. But most of us in the real world, uh -uh. we have to carve our own path. It's like driving. Uh, you're driving without roads. Mm -hmm. So, you know, roads where we're going, we don't need roads, <laughs> roads <yeah>. so, <laughs> but it's, it, it is challenging. The challenge to writers is what I'm saying is are the same mm -hmm. challenges that you face if you're starting a business, if you're starting anything. So I hopefully mm -hmm. will have some nuggets of value you can extract from whatever. We're going to extract some nuggets. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk a lot about this. Uh, I mean, let's be really straightforward and I know you're humble, but you know, most people, you know, when they do create a book and I say create, I'm not going to use the word write right away. Um, you know, it sells, you know, five copies and four of them go to their mom on, on Amazon. You know, it's, this is the, the, it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not an arc. It's like a, it's like this, right? There's, there's JK Rowling, you know, there's that there's you guys, New York times bestseller. Then there's the, the plebes way down here. Right. <laughs> and so some of the questions I want to cover today are, wow, your beginnings as a writer and your, um, challenges and what you did to get to where you are today. That's, that's what I want to focus on. Um, Great. So let's just start there. Like you went from a cellist to starting a school at 17. When did the writing thing kick in? You know, the writing thing was always kind of there hovering in the background. Uh, every sphere I was in, every career, every, uh, you know, 
every community I kind of operated within, I was the guy who ended up writing the newsletter or editing the article or, you know, or whatever. Uh, whatever it involved writing, I, I kind of showed up. My parents were both academics. My mom was a history teacher, also a playwright. She wrote plays for kids. Her belief was the best way to teach kids history was to write plays and have them act, act it out. My dad was a music professor, a musicologist, and a college teacher. So writing was kind of in my environment. There was never a time, actually, where I sat down and said, I want to be a writer. It just kind of kept, kept happening. I did a lot of editing. And for over a decade, I was sort of professionally an editor of other people's stuff, which, by the way, I think is an excellent way to get training as a writer, editing other people's stuff. Oh, because you're not absolutely. attached to it emotionally. Absolutely. Yep. I, I have writers that work for me, right? And I've, yeah. I was editing their stuff for many years. Now I've got a chief editor. I don't do it anymore. But I remember seeing, sometimes it was great. Sometimes it was like, why are we paying this person? <laughs> we had to rewrite <laughs> stuff so much. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, being an editor is great. Yeah, those other skill sets are vital. Um, what else besides editing would be helpful? Uh, well, you know, what would be helpful is, is writing. First of all, yeah. reading. And you can't be a writer unless you read. And, and also, by the way, if you want to write good stuff, you have to read good stuff. Great mm. writing. Whether it's yeah. the genre, it can be not, not the genre that you write in. Maybe you write right. business books and you read romance novels. I don't know. Yeah. I'll tell you for years, actually for 10 years, my first 10 years or so as a writer, as a actually named independent writing books kind of writer and not just yeah. a, a sort of hovering in the background magazine editor. I wrote nonfiction. I wrote books about business, about yeah. leadership. And mm -hmm. all I read was crime novels. <laughs> so like, I'm writing like The Go-Giver and Real Leadership and mm -hmm. Flash Foresight. And I'm reading like, you know, Jack Reacher and, you know, Philip Marlowe and all this stuff. So uh, great writing feeds your sense of story and your mm -hmm. sense of the shape of language, your sense mm -hmm. of the, the rhythm and the meter and the flow and the sound and the, and the and the chunkiness of language you get you know you're, you're you're swimming in that pond you absorb it it can be a totally different uh genre yeah. the only requirement is that it's great don't read crap don't waste your time reading mediocre stuff don't waste your time yeah. and, and there's a lot you know some of the i don't follow sports at all i am not a sports enthusiast i think sports are great it's just not my thing i don't follow it but god i love sports writers sports writers are the greatest man some of the most colorful entertaining fascinating writing in, in newspapers is sports writing so i read sports columns uh, i have no idea what they're talking about but i love it <laughs> so reading if you want to write you got to read and read appreciatively it's like eating a meal appreciatively don't just eat to stuff your face and move on to the next thing taste what you're eating mm. you know what how do they do that what's in that stew what's in that dish how to find out what the recipe is do that with your writing Mm, wow. The way that they just described that scene, the way they just described that person, the dialogue, one of the best things, hey, one of the best things for a writer, if you want to write books, magazine articles, newsletters, blog posts, doesn't matter, whatever it is, is to read screenplays. Uh, we all love movies. Everyone's seen a billion movies. Very few of us ever sit down and read a screenplay. A screenplay is a really interesting medium. It's a completely different look on the page than a book or a magazine article. It's got its own particular, peculiar language. It's, and it's very dogmatic. I mean, it's a very set set of rules how you write a screenplay. And it's fascinating. 
uh, one of the things you learn when you read screenplays is dialogue. Now you may not write dialogue, but you do, no matter what you're writing, even if you're writing nonfiction, even if you're writing a how-to book, learning the mastery of dialogue is gonna feed your writing. Uh, I did a ton of screenwriting study. When I first, uh, back myself out of that sentence and start the paragraph a different way. There was a time in my life when I, I was in business, I was doing very successfully and my business all of a sudden started to crash. I was in this direct sales business and it was just starting to implode. And a whole bunch of us, I had a lot of associates, we all started saying, oh crap, man, we gotta, we gotta have like a backup plan. The ship is going down, what are we gonna do? My only plan was to write and I didn't know what I could write. And I certainly had no idea how I could make any money at it, but I thought, I know, I'll write screenplays. I'll make lots of money being a screenwriter. This did not happen, but it was a great plan. You know what they say, man plans, God laughs. So while God is chuckling away, holding aside, I am studying screenplays. I went to Hollywood. I found a fantastic screenwriting teacher. Uh, his name is Hal Crosman, C-R-O-A-S-M-U-N. He's still teaching. I still recommend him. His courses are online. Phenomenal guy. I studied screenwriting. I read probably 200, 300, maybe 400 screenplays. Um, I went to the bookstore, Barnes & Noble, and bought every book on screenwriting and every collection of screenplays. I went online and downloaded screenplays. Uh, and I took them apart. I figured out, how does William Goldman do that? Princess Bride, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, All the President's Men, Misery. How does he do that? How does, you know, how does Quentin Tarantino do what he does? I know what it sounds like on the, on the screen, but I want to see it on the page. I want to understand what are the spices? What are the herbs? What are the ingredients? How long, how long did it sear? What did the cook do to make this thing taste so phenomenal? Uh, so, you know, that'd be probably out of all the reading recommendations I can make, find the best readers you can in, in what you love to read. I would say make screenplays part of your part of your diet. And, and then the next thing. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. Di I was dissecting, say that, dissecting the screenplay is interesting to me. I, I, yeah. I took some classes at school. That's my, my degrees in radio and TV and film. And yes. my instructor, my instructor, um, he used to, he used to say, look at the screenplays we'd write in class. And when there was too much dialogue, he just ripped the pages out, said, it's a visual medium. Get rid of this stuff. He's like, rip pages out, put it across it. Now fix it. And we have to like describe a scene and make it more a visual medium. So it's, it's kind of interesting. You're talking about dialogue because yeah. And I have to do the same thing with my, my leadership authors doing their leadership books. Yeah. They come out like textbooks. And yeah. I say, could you give me a scene where there was some drama or some character development when you went and told the, the company about your corporate culture? You know, just paint a scene. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing to see how, you know, David Mamet or Aaron Sorkin do what they do. These guys fill pages with dialogue, like blocks of dialogue. They're like five pages long and they pull it off, right? They do pull Mammoth it off and it's amazing. It off, of course. Yeah. I mean, you watch, you know, you, you watch Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and it's just like, what a master class. But I mean, you, you're right. That's sort of the exception that proves the rule. Totally What's really exception. amazing. What's yeah. really amazing is to see how people write a line that's like words in it. And it yeah. makes it, it makes you go, oh. um, and you know, 
Yeah, ad, ad lib scenes sometimes <laughs> it happens, but you know, yeah. most of it's written down. Let me get, let me let me burst your bubble yeah. there. The writer is genius of of the dialogue, you know, in ninety nine percent of the cases. And so, you know, right, right. how you can how you can say more with fewer words, <sighs> that's the magic of screenplays. Because yeah. a screenplay can't be over like ninety pages, a hundred pages. It, so many right. words in a page, you can't make right. a smaller font. Uh uh. I mean, <laughs> that's good trick. For, the for the real trick. Right. You know what? The real trip to screenplays is the same as the real trip to 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 parables, to great parables. There's so many crappy parables out there, but there are. So, Steel Fair, 400 yeah. pages. Okay. How many pages uh, is it? 400. 400 and change. Okay. Go giver. Like, shortest book I think I've ever I've ever published, but also the most successful. Um, it, it's a different craft, although it's interesting. In Steel Fear, in a thriller, it's the same thing. Even though it's 400 pages, I had to take out every third word. Uh, I had to compress it from 150,000 words to 100,000 because that's what the medium dictates. It's what it requires. In a parable, you've got to do really turn, turn the coal into a right. diamond. You've got to really say more with fewer words, fewer words, fewer words, fewer words. Yeah. And to me, the craft of writing is taking is is throwing some decent ideas in the page along with some shitty ideas in the page mm -hmm. sorting through and finding the decent ones putting them up on the board and then saying okay now take out this take out this take out this take out this shave 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 compress 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 how can i say that 10 word sentence using six words how can i say that six word phrase and do it in four words how can i deliver more power in fewer words i am um... I got, I got to tell you a couple things here. Number one, I've been so immersed in the nonfiction world. Yeah. I got a little stale and I've, I told my clients for years, you know, you should also read fiction because good storytelling happens there more often character development scenes, yeah. um, you know, subplots, things like that. And so when I, when I got steel fear, I was like, I, I, I'm going to lie to you. I'm not gonna lie. I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> to you. Go ahead. Lie to me. Tell me. I, I had a long trip, so I got the audiobook. Man, I listened to it. Yeah, he's great. And I wanted to take notes, <laughs> like pull off the road. I'm like, that was such a great analogy. I want to use that one because saying like, you know, the blade was sharp is like okay, yeah, but the blade is sharp as something. I mean, you you sprinkled so many great analogies in there, or they call it similes, whatever. It was just so um, colorful. And as a nonfiction author, please please visually tell your story without yeah. visuals. You're going to sound like a, like a professor at a, at a university. It's going to be dull, you know? And you know what? It's interesting, Doug, because I don't have a natural facility for that. You know, somebody, I forget who, some guy once described Stephen King as saying, Stevie has a camera in his head. Uh, uh, I don't have a camera in my head. I am not a visual person. Really? I, huh. When I, when I read a novel, like I read a description and I have to stop and reread it for a picture to start forming in my head. Pictures don't okay. form in my head like that. I'm, yeah. I'm very auditory. So when I'm writing something mm -hmm. to describe it visually, I have to stop it and takes really work. like interview myself and say, what does it look like? I don't know what it looks like. It takes work. It takes, it, it, it's like, it's like English as a second language. I have yeah. to think about every word. So, which is great, which is great because it means that you have to put thought into it. And I agree with you, put thought into yeah. it.
put thought into it. And just the um, carrying somebody through 400 pages to where they can't put it down, that's magic. Okay, that's magic because I I, I put down books at page four, you know, <laughs> so yeah. to, go through, to go through 400 and say, well, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Um, fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter. You've got to make it a page turner. And, yes. you know, open loops and breadcrumbs in, in fiction might be a little bit easier because you can drop hints and not complete thoughts or scenes, yes. whatnot. But in the um, in the nonfiction world, it's not so easy to do. It's not so easy to do, but it, it is. I mean, you're so right that it's still there's still t storytelling there. And yeah. I mean, you take someone like uh, it takes someone like Malcolm Gladwell. OK, yeah, good example. He writes a, right? book, a book like Blink or, yeah. or a book like The Tipping Point. Um, you know, the, the, what, how little things make a big difference or whatever the subtitle yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not the story of a hero. It's not the story of a guy or a woman who, who sets out on a journey to, to overcome some incredible odds and obstacles to achieve a goal. Yeah. Yeah. It's the story of an idea, it's right? Like the idea is the hero of the book. I think, well, how's that going to work? How, how exciting can that be? Just read the book, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when well, you start, with, I was I I gone through all his books, and um, the la yeah. the last one was so much fun because he actually had live interviews of some of the people he used in the book, um, talking with strangers. I where you had the recording. Oh my gosh, he had oh. the recordings of like actual police recordings, you know, from body cam yeah. stuff, and yeah, yeah, um, Cuban spy talking, oh, you know, because wow. he interviews people for his books, yeah. and he put the interviews in the audio book. <laughs> so it added that extra wow. dimension of this isn't Malcolm talking. This is somebody else we actually interviewed. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a good yeah. format. So that's why you know I was talking to a client just before we got in this call today. I said, "Isn't readership? Isn't reading down?" Like, yeah, readers. You know, books book sales might be off a little bit, but audiobooks are up double digit, double yeah. digit growth three years in a row. So. Audiobooks are strong. They're they're strong, man. Yeah. And by the way. Um, you know, I was I was around. I was writing when when people were really loudly predicting the death of the book because of the rise yeah. of the ebook. Ebooks would take over. Eh, eh, no, you know what? No. Here's what I think. I think there's there's visual medium, there's auditory medium, there's tactile media. You've mm -hmm. got audio books. Now that they've established a foothold, they will never go away. You've got ebooks. They will never go away. You've got physical books you hold in your hand. Yeah. I'm sorry, those are never going to go away. And you know what else? We're going to get holographic books. They're going to be books in 3D where you turn on the yeah. book. And, and, mm -hmm. and the character shows up in your living room, like like sure. Princess Leia talking to Obi-Wan or talking to Luke Skywalker. Right. right. Um, and, and none of them will go away because mm -hmm. they're all different experiences and we love them all. They're yeah. All... Well, I'm sure I'm sure that we're both Star Trek fans. We've seen the, you know, Picard still has hardcover books in his in hey, his uh, in his yeah. holiday plus he's got the hardcover books. So, yeah. 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 Like exactly. That. Hey. So. All right. I want to go back to the, the business side of this because I could talk to you about the creative side at length. But um yes. People are, you know, they all want to be New York Times bestsellers, John. They're yeah. just like, oh, I want to be a New York yeah. Times bestseller. And I, I, I often send them the blog post by Tucker Max about that saying, well, you know, the odds are <laughs> better to win the lottery than to sell a million copies of your book. So congratulations. You and Bob won the lottery, number one. Um, obviously came through work, not by chance. But the, the path to becoming successful as an author mm -hmm. um, you know, my clients, I focus on their business and they use the book as, as a lever. Right. In in this case with you guys, I mean, you've, I'm going to guess you made some money in the books. 
Yeah, I mean, it, my yeah. goal, my goal, my personal goal, uh, my business model, you know, yeah. in, in I have two goals in writing. One is the creative goal and the other is the, is the pragmatic economic goal. Yeah. Right. My economic goal is for the writing to support my wife and myself, not only presently, but ongoingly. So we're talking yeah. residual, which means yeah. royalties, which yeah. means you've got to write books that not only sell, but keep selling. That mm -hmm. is a challenge. Um, yeah. So a couple of things on that on that business thing. First, I want to make a, a key distinction that a lot of people will will be a, a surprise to a lot of people. Yeah. New York Times bestseller is a terrible goal. The reason it's a terrible goal is because it's unquantifiable. Um, the, the recipe for becoming a New York Times bestseller, it, yeah. it is yeah. the paper of record. It is yeah. still the gold standard. It is. Yep. I mean, you introduced me by saying four New York Times bestsellers, but I'll tell you what. Yeah. Interesting point. I have four New York Times bestsellers. The Go-Giver is not one of them. And it's the most successful book I've, I've written. Um, the New York Times recipe for what qualifies you as a bestseller is, is more closely held than the recipe for Colonel Sanders' Kentucky Fried Chicken. I, I read a, It's um, not about pure yeah. number of sales. No, I they, read a blog post on it. They actually, got, somebody got in there and talked to them and said, well, we look at the sales and then we make a decision based on what we like. <laughs> based on what we think exactly yeah. it is a lot yeah. more capricious than you think it's not based on sales right. on the other hand wall street journal bestseller usa today bestseller uh you know and a, a business week bestseller a bunch of other bestsellers are in fact based on numbers you know there are bestsellers you can shoot for that are that are uh, quantifiable um as as well then you know you, you never know what the number is going to be but they are based yeah. on real numbers still <clears throat> as i said go give a marriage Never hit the yeah. New York Times bestseller list. I have other books that did, yeah. upon which I have made a great deal less money. <laughs> well, we can talk about publishers in a moment. Than, yeah, of course. Yeah. The, well, then the go-giver. Uh, and yeah. the difference isn't the publisher. The difference is number of sales. Number of sales, number of okay. sales. So, so what I want to, first off, my yeah. monetary goals or my, my, my numeric goals um, are not bestseller lists. That's great. Uh, and they're not reviews. That's lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get them, most of my books are not books that get reviewed in New York Times or LA Times or anything else, uh, uh, but sales. And what sales means is people are buying your books. People yeah. are buying your books because they want your books and they want your books because your books make a difference. You know, the, the way to quantify your business goals in, in book selling is how many lives can I touch? How many individual people out there want this book? Because reading this book will in some way improve their lives. And that's the, that's the target. Um, when I'm actually releasing a book, I mean, I have sales goals, but yeah. my goals tend to be the word a lot. I don't put numbers on it much because I know yeah. I'll be disappointed. What right. I put numbers on, I put numbers on Amazon reviews. I want to okay. see a book do 50 Amazon reviews in the first two yeah. weeks. I want to see it do 100 Amazon. I had a goal for Steel Fear that it would hit 100 Amazon reviews in the first month of release. Yeah. And on day 30, it yeah. was at 98. And I was like, come on, baby, come oh, on, baby, come up. on, baby. <laughs> and I, I I wrote to the guy who put it over the top and said, his name is Robert Batty, an old friend of mine from, from my grade school. I wrote to him yeah. and said, dude, you put us over the top. Nice. That to me is meaningful because every one of those is a real person saying, I not only read, the, I not only got value out of this book, it was so valuable that I got to tell you, stranger, right. about it. Hot diggity damn. I love that. Um, so right. how do you get that? 
you pointed out something really, really uh, salient there, which is that a lot of people write a book because they're in business and the book is, is in essence a calling card for their business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so their goal for the book is that it be good, <laughs> but their goal for the book pragmatically is that there will be people who read it and say, oh, I, I need to be I need I need to be that guy's client. I need to hire him for, to do to do, you know, you know, they yeah. want to get business out of the book. So number of copies sold mm -hmm. is kind of irrelevant to that person. What's relevant is whose hands is it going to go into and what's how's it going to land? What impact is it going to have? Now, right. getting on a bestseller list could, could be meaningful sure. because it's, it's a pedigree. Mm -hmm. When your book says, you know, Wall Street bestseller, that's a pedigree. Yeah. But it's mostly out of your control. It's hard to get on those 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 big lists. Um, yeah. right. So, you know, there are different valid and distinct goals for different mm -hmm. authors. I don't write books to get clients. I don't write books right. for people to come to me and say, hey, I want you to be my writer. Yeah. I write books because I want to sell a shitload. I want a lot of people to buy them because I have a monetary goal, which is support my wife and myself. And yep. I have a creative goal, which is to change the life of a million people. I want to touch, you know, vast numbers of people's lives and, and have the world be a different place because I was here through mm -hmm. those books. So, you know, you probably ask, really ask me, how do you do that? And I haven't answered that question yet. We'll get to it. I, like, I just love <laughs> listening to you. It's all good. Yeah. My, um, one of my business coaches said, you know, people don't pay for information. They pay for transformation. Yes, and that's it. When, that, that's when it. the whole content marketing thing became a, a buzzword, I'm like, okay, content marketing. So now what? I mean, there's a lot. Content is basically free. I mean, you yeah. can Google anything. So yep. what are you really buying for? I I say I'm buying I'm buying the uh, you know discerning all that noise from you know the, the gold nuggets in the dirt, right? How do you find the value of all the content out there? Yeah. But transformation is a is a big a big piece that people actually want. Yes. And unfortunately, in a monologue of a book it's not easy to measure i'll give you a, i'll give an example of this yeah um we'll take the go-giver so yeah. the the i think some reviewer on amazon or somewhere said i i could give you the content of this book in a in a in two pages and he meant it pejoratively yeah you know he meant it as a criticism it's not criticism it's just obvious it's the truth the, the actual lesson of the book, I mean, the yeah. principles of the book, of right. course, we can give it to you in two pages. You know why? Because we can give you anything in two pages. Exactly. Anything, where, anything. Yeah. Seven anything habits of highest thick of people on a note card. Here's the seven yeah. habits. Okay, what? <laughs> yes, exactly. First things first, you know, anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? It doesn't take a whole Bible. <laughs> it takes a tablet. That's just the, that's the deal with human communication. People, yeah. What people want is wisdom. And the essence of wisdom is that it's distilled knowledge. Distilled mm -hmm. means, hey, it's like great dialogue. You do it in a couple of words. But, 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 but here's the point. You don't go buy those two pages. No. I can't sell you those two pages. Nope. So what's the deal with the go-giver? Why, why a million copies? Because it's the story. The, the transformation, to use your word, that Joe, the hero, goes mm -hmm. through in the course of this little book. It's like a mini novel is what a parable is. Right. The, the, the transformation he goes through, the, the pain, the difficulty, the triumph, the realization that he goes through, 
the reader identifies with that. The challenge of a parable is parables by definition are simplified. That's what a parable, a parable is a simple story that tells a moral, that gives you a moral, gives you a principle, teaches a lesson. By definition, a parable is not like a novel in that it doesn't have rich, complex characters. It has like stick figures. <laughs> it's very simple. The challenge of the parable is to keep it very simple so it appeals to a broad number of people and yet imbue it with richness. Make those stick figures come to life in the page. Make them come to life so that you, the reader, as you're reading about them, you start to care about what happens to them. They start to feel real to you. You start to be them. You root for Joe to get out of the box he's in because you want to get out of the box you're in. When Joe and Susan, when you start to see the kind of the difficulty and the pain that's going on in their marriage in chapter eight or wherever it is, you man, you're right there with them. That's the goal. Because then when, when he transcends that by putting into practice one of these simple rules, simple principles, it's like, it's like it happened in my life when I read it on the page. That's the goal of, uh, of a parable. And, and the measure of its success is the degree is the degree of popularity is how many people how many people buy it um it, it's like it works if a whole lot of people respond it resonates if it strikes a whole lot of chords so i think that you know yeah uh, uh, that's the challenge of a nonfiction book it's not the lecture i mean if if you put a powerpoint presentation between two covers of a book it's not a book it's not a story it's a PowerPoint presentation. It's a bunch of principles. It's a set of rules. You know, make it a wall poster. <laughs> That's right. Well, those inspirational things, right? Yeah. You're making a really interesting point. I got a, I got a general question. I'm not sure if I'll get it out very succinctly, but I'm thinking of movies and books right now. And in some cases, yes, we always communicate by story because story predates language. I get it. But what about the idea that I'm putting myself in that story? Like, if I'm watching, uh, you know, James Bond, like I feel like, yeah, I'm a, I can be a, a spy, right? But I'm watching Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm not. I don't associate with any of those people. It's pure entertainment. Or am I? Am I putting myself in Quill's shoes or what? You know, it's like one of my favorite entertainment experiences was Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. I just grew up on those two. I just, you know, and it's so, and there's, this is so hilarious because Daffy right. Duck is just so constantly frustrated. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. so constantly doesn't get it. And, and Bugs Bunny, like he just pulls these solutions out of, I'm going to say his ear, um, yeah. <laughs> out of, out of thin air. And there is a, so help me. There's a part of me that aspires to be Bugs Bunny. Right. And it is Bugs Bunny. I mean, pulling smart, things. smart Alec and you get away with stuff and you're always happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So I think that, you know, whether it's Guardians of the Galaxy or it's it's Rambo or it's 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 James Bond, as you said, or it's, you know, whatever it is to me in Steel Fear, you know. Yeah. None of us are Navy SEALs, but but there is, you know, there are really kind of three heroes in Steel Fear. There's the Navy SEAL who mm -hmm. is this this kind of traumatized yeah. awkward socially very very awkward guy right uh, who is also brilliant and who is confident confident and socially or... awkward was a strange combination when I'm, I'm like wait he's awkward but he's confident about it that's 
that was a new yeah. character for me. I'm like, how did this? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he's kind of like you know the the Rami Malek character on Robot. I mean, he's like, yeah, he's 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 skilled and he's actually yeah. hyper skilled. Um, right, right. And then there's Monica, the Nighthawk, the helicopter pilot, right? Um, yeah. Who is like a warrior, uh, yeah, and yeah. and who has no business getting involved in this, and everybody else be damned, she gets involved in this. And then there's right. Jackson. The master chief on the ship this this big uh -huh. you know uh, abrams tank of a guy um, right. who is who is in charge of all the enlisted people on the ship who is like top dog next to the captain whose job it is to just do what the captain says and who basically becomes seditious uh, or or uh, yeah. you know mutinous because uh -huh. he has torn loyalties to the chain of command right and the the dictates of common sense and and decency and loyalty to his crew and, and justice. Right. Anyway, so you, you got a, a, a sort of a range of, of hero figures that you can relate right. to. My job as a writer is to make their stories stories that you care about so much that you start to resonate with them and you become them. Right. So that when they right. triumph, you triumph. When they're challenged, you're challenged. And I think that's, I think that's the job of every storyteller. Which, which I can't give things away, but that's one of the reasons it does carry through because it's just so you know, folks, it's a, it's a murder mystery. It takes place yep. in an aircraft carrier. So that's People cool. die. Yep. Um, and obviously as a mystery, you're hoping it's not this person and it's just really well done. It was really <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All I can say that like, gives things away. <laughs> now, I thought I'd talk to you for it's a few minutes about, about co-authorship Yeah. because I've worked with a couple of people doing co-authors and it always takes four times as long to have two people work on a book but in your i mean in these cases you've i know i know one of the people you work with of course i know bob really well i'm i mean i'm imagining it would be you know pretty good to work with someone like that yeah um yeah so what's it like being a co-author especially on the steel fear talk about that one first maybe because that's like a sure you know i don't do you have any navy experience being an aircraft carrier yeah I, I certainly don't i have no navy experience yeah. i have no military experience and also yeah. steel fear by the way is the seventh book i've written with brandon we've done uh, oh six other books together all nonfiction. okay um most of the memoir there was his memoir the red circle we did a bunch of other uh, navy seal military memoirs of people that he okay. knew uh right. we did two business you could call them business books total focus mm -hmm. and mastering fear which are applying the principles learned in special operations to kind of the business and, and professional yeah. and personal nice. world so you know we've got each other's rhythm i know him really well we know each other really well and this is our yeah. seventh book and you know yeah. eighth we've written the sequel already um nice but yeah i i'm picky about you know I, as start from the beginning i published over 30 books right. all of them but one or two have been co-authorships you know, wow. I've written one or two of my, all by myself. Yeah, uh, I'll do more of those in the future because that's a blast. That's like, you know, it's like taking off ankle weights and just running. But yeah, most of it have been co-authorships. And I work pretty much the same in every case. I'm picky with my partnerships because they are right. partnerships. They are mm -hmm. not only creative partnerships, they're business partnerships. Sure. Yeah. And my business model basically comes down to this. I write it. The other guy promotes it now that's an oversimplification because the other guy also yeah. participates in the writing and i sure. also participate in the promotion but the, the skill set is i'm i'm, a, I'm the writer you I do the heavy not, lifting and they come in the and lifting. like yeah okay that makes a lot of sense so most of my writing mostly mostly the writing is solitary and so it happens that hap I, I write in three in three phases yeah okay very, simple, about that. very simply goes like this the first phase is gathering preparation mm -hmm. 
you could call it research because part of that is research. In that phase, if say I'm working with Brandon, I'm on the phone with him, interviewing, 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 okay, tossing stuff around. If if it's with Bob, Bob and I kick around ideas for yeah. you know for the Go Giver influencer, the third Go Giver parable. Mm -hmm. I read his book Adversaries into Allies because it's based right. on those principles, you know. Um, for the go-giver, go-giver is a mix of me and Bob 50-50. So I just like, I just knew Bob and we talked about some things. Yeah, yeah. But once I, I've done the, the preparation, mm -hmm. I close the door and I start to write. And it's mostly a solitary experience. Um, I, I, I don't have the experience mostly of, of, you know, I'll write a chapter, you write a chapter, I write a chapter, you write a chapter. Yeah. I recently had an exception to that rule. I did. Mm -hmm. I did. And I'll get to that in a sec because it was very, sure. very illuminating. But mostly I write a draft with a door. I just write myself and mm -hmm. I may, you know, periodically I get to a chapter and I go, I have no idea how, how this works. And I call up Brandon and say, dude, I got to talk about this. You know, we're going to have a, uh, you know, we're going to have a, a, a gunfight or we're going to have a this or that or whatever. I need just to know a little background. And so, you know, I'll plug in with my co-author periodically because I need something. They give it to me. I got it. Thank you. Goodbye. Go back and I write. Um, mostly it's solitary. And then once I've got a draft, then the door opens again and then we go back and forth. Uh, and then it's a question of adjusting. For example, with Bob, every time we've done a go-giver book, um, I usually kick him out chapter at a time or a couple chapters at a time. And he, he says, this is awesome. And he, comes, he has a few comments or notes, whatever. Once the draft is done, we go over it. And Bob is incredibly meticulous. He always has points out things that don't quite work that I didn't notice. He always has ideas that I didn't think of that he, he can insert, you know, so a bunch of it is based on his blog post, his teaching, his ideas, um, as well as my blog post, my teaching, my ideas. But when we do the, when we do the, 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 the finessing, the finalizing, it's also, it's a 50, 50 process where he, he has input and that's awesome. Um, so that's kind of how I work. I have my solo time in the middle, but I have input in the beginning and the end. So I, how do you do it on an aircraft carrier, man? I mean, when I'm reading that or listening to that book, yep. I'm like, Tom Clancy would be like jealous of all the details you go to in terms of the square footage, how the decks work, so all that stuff. So much research, man. I did okay. so much research. So part of that was I spent three solid months just in research. A lot of that was in the internet. I watched, you know, uh, Icon Productions, Mel Gibson's company, they, they produced a 10-hour miniseries called Carrier. Carrier. And okay, I watched yeah, that sucker yeah. moment, you know, and took notes. Um, I've, I've, you know, there's a, there was a fantastic book called Another Great Day at Sea, which is a, mm. a, a British journalist chronicling of his time on an aircraft carrier. Okay. Right. I read right. that sucker. So I read and I read, I watched and I watched, I, I asked questions to Quora. I did a whole bunch of stuff online. Wow. Uh, at one point I bought a book that cost $1,200 and it turned out they only, it only had a single page that talked about the Abraham Lincoln and it was worthless information that I already had. Jeez. We did get a refund on that book. We sent it back. Uh, <laughs> but so a lot of it was just my digging, 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 asking wow. questions, getting answers. Some of it, I would go to Brandon and say, you know, talk to me about this. Talk to me about that. You know, like for example, mm -hmm. the fan tale, the back of the book. Right. The back of the back of the ship, yeah. you know, above the propeller, it turns out to be, you know, where they dump their organic garbage. So it stinks. I learned that from Brandon. And yeah. also it has the smell of stale cigarettes because it's right around the corner yeah. is, yeah. is the smoke pit. And yeah. details like that I got from Brandon.
Nice. Okay. Um, another guy, another associate, and I tapped into other military guys for other stuff like that. So I always like yeah. tap into experts who know to get color, you know, that I can't find yeah. myself. Amazing. What a great book. Steel Fear, so guys. I, I'm telling you, uh, I don't care if you're fiction, nonfiction, what a business owner like books, you will dig this story. It is a good one. So I highly recommend it for sure. Um, let's finish up, John, with um, the the most important point, you're, you're editing things, you're writing some books on yourself. When did you hit it where you could like write full time? And what was that book? What was it the beginning of that, that ascent? You know, it's really funny. I, um, uh, the first book I wrote was actually not the go-giver just, just a year before I published a book called you call the shots. And what happened was I had interviewed this young 19 year old business wunderkind. This kid had earned his first million dollars before he graduated from high school just an amazing guy. And, uh, and not only was he phenomenal at business, but he was also a super nice guy, just a great, great values, just a sweet kid. I just like this guy so much. I'd interviewed him for a magazine article and I said, Hey, we should, you know, we, we should write a book about your story. We did. And that book got published. You call the shots. It was, and I was in New York with my agent. We were, we had just sold that book to a publisher. And I was, I had just gotten a gig through her to write an, another a congressman's memoir. And I, I had the, the go-giver in my back pocket, um, which we were working on. And when I got this contract uh, uh, with this, this next book in the congressman's uh, memoir, I went back to my hotel room and I gave notice at the magazine where I was working. They were friends of mine. And I said, you know, I'm going to be full-time writer books. So was you got to start. Was there an advance that went with that to gave you some cushion or was it all guts? How'd you do that? Yeah, there was, there was an advance, but here's the end okay. of the story. I okay. gave my notice. We talked about, I promised them I'd give them, to, I, I, I wouldn't leave until I'd hire, I'd hired and trained my replacement or found right. and trained my replacement, but it was done. The next day, the book deal backed out. <laughs> there was no advance. You want to make you want to you want to uh, make God laugh? Just tell him your plans. Yes, yeah, so you mentioned I burnt, that burnt my on. bridge, baby, burnt my bridge. So honestly, for years when I was first writing, uh, first writing books, I had supplemental income from businesses that my wife and I both had yeah. had going. Uh, and eventually, um, you know, I'm ten years in, twelve years in, and I'm just now really at the place where wow. writing supports us full time. It, it took a decade to build that build that you know that stream. Um, Back to Hollywood, I have, uh, you know, I went to school at Northwestern, so my friends are, are in that world. And yeah. uh, my one friend, one friend, Tom, um, went out there. Uh, we graduated in 83. And uh, he's out there and writing every single day for, I think he said, eight years mm -hmm. before somebody actually read something of his. But he'd write every day, which is yeah. a clue, right? Yes. His first gig he got yeah. was for the new Dick Van Dyke show. And the day he got accepted, like the next very next day, writer strike. Oh <laughs> man, cancel the show. Now he's gone on to write some movies, and he doesn't. I don't think he works anymore because I see him on Facebook just posting pictures of bugs and stuff. But he's he wrote um, the movie Home, the cartoon version, and mm -hmm. Get Smart, and uh, oh, wow, the old Matthew McConaughey movie he wrote um, where he stays at home till age forty. I forgot which one yeah, it was. Don't know that one, but it's got to be great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't how to lose a guy in ten days. Was the other one. It was the. Um, it was based on based on his, him and his buddy talking about stuff about these guys aren't leading home for a while. I was like that'd be a funny movie, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That is that is 
It is wild. It is wild how, you know, with Hollywood, you know, it, it's it's even harder than it I is could, with New York yeah. and publishing. I, I was out there for a week. I'm like, not for me. I'm a Midwestern boy. I'm like, I, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. It's a different that, that was my sure. goal. That was my plan. That was my right. goal. And I like to say, Bob Berg ruined my career. Uh, congratulations. Thank you, Bob. Could a better person. Um, last note on the aircraft carrier thing. Um, another guest on the show from a, a few weeks ago was Gary Goldstein. Gary uh, produced a few movies you've heard about, you know, Mothman yeah. Prophecies. Um, <sighs> Pretty Phenomenal Woman. movie. Yeah. Pretty Woman, Under Siege. Heard of, heard of that one, yes. Heard now, <laughs> Under Siege, he told me a really funny story. At the premiere, right, it came out. You know, it's not his, I mean, it's pretty wide range of movies he's done too, by the way. It's, you know, romantic comedies to Steven Seagal to Mothman Prophecies are three like yeah, yeah. Totally, totally different, different movies, totally different. But he he talks like you, he's very eloquent and and uh, and learned. But at the premiere of Under Siege, this naval officer came up to him and said, uh, Mr. Goldstein, thank you so very much for making that movie. And he's like, well, yeah, of course it was fun. Goes, What's your story? He said, well, sir, um, based on this movie, I've had to change some of the protocols here at work. <laughs> What do you do again? Oh, I'm in charge of nuclear security for the U.S. Navy. <laughs> so a fictional movie. Oh, wow. Said maybe we better change our safety protocols. I love Based it. On the stuff they just made up on the, I you know, the, the cruise missiles on a, on a battleship. So People have asked us if we got clearance, any kind of clearance or any kind of collaboration or cooperation with the military. We've done that in other books. We've actually put yeah. a few of our books through DOD, which is a terrible process because oh it can God, take forever. And the stuff that they 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 actually blacked out stuff in some of our books, and it was stuff that oh, yeah. you know you can grab off the internet, you know. But well, no, yeah. it's fiction, baby. No, yeah. no, uh, no collaboration. Well, I know I you spent, said... I spent a day on the on the on the carrier. What? Oh, cool. Nice. On the Lincoln, on the Lincoln. All right. Where, where oh, on the actual place. Lincoln. Okay, nice. The actual nice. Lincoln. I spent a day there. Yeah, that was that was so that was great. And, and they did they didn't mind uh, um, this characterization of the, of the of the captain in the in the book. I may have neglected to mention that. We'll see when the movie when the movie comes out. We'll see how that plays because you're gonna have to be on a set somewhere. Um, might have to. Uh, you can't change a character. It's too good. I met but... the real. I met the real captain, current captain of the yeah, of, yeah, the, of well, Lincoln and the current master chief. And they were, you know, of course, yeah, they were of course, yeah, people. Cool, amazing stuff. Um, John, I just want to say thank you again for being on the show today. I just can't thank you. No, it's so cool. I'd love to have you back and talk about more stuff here. Um, we'll what could we? Um, what could people? Um, what would you like them to do? People watch this going, wow, I want to get more of this. Want to, want to uh, pitch a book. Great. It's a deal. I'll tell you what. We got um, <laughs> Steel Fear just came out. What I would yes. like people to do is go buy the book. I promise you you'll enjoy it. Yes. Just read what they said on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a few loonies who say it's the worst book I ever read. I don't get that. Um, <laughs> mostly they say it's one of the best <laughs> books I've ever read. I get that. So <laughs> go buy the book. Read the book. Yes. Enjoy the book. Tell your friends. Leave a review on Amazon, and just know this: the sequel is on its way. Yeah, can't wait. Hold the cover up again so we can see it. I'll put it in the show notes here, people can look at. It, but it's called Steel and you, Fear. And you can learn more about it at my website, johndavidman.com. There we go. There we this go. Is the book cool cover? Great Web book. Man. He's Web. Web I'm man. You are. You are the man, and we appreciate yeah. you so much today. Thank you so much. John David Mann, author of Steel Fear and a bunch of other great books. Thank you for being on the show today. Speaking of that, please don't forget to subscribe below. Click below, like it, subscribe, all that jazz. We got some more free goodies for you here at the Author Brand Show. This is Doug Crow. Thanks so much for watching.